This show is sponsored by This Could Be Your Name, the writer of This Could Be Your Book. Contact us to find out more about sponsoring an episode. The following content is strictly designed for the enjoyment of a mature adult audience. Headphones are recommended as these stories are recorded in left-to-right dimensional stereo. Hello, sexy people. It's Natalia, and you're listening to All the Filthy Details, the Erotica Communities podcast. What we want to do in this episode is something slightly different. We've been looking at our numbers, we've been getting on various platforms in regards to listeners, and we kind of wanted to remind you of where we came from. Our podcast is evergreen meaning you can get as much out of it by listening to our previous episodes as you could listening to our latest one. Before we start our trip down memory lane, let's give you a preview of a new title only available on Patreon. The Erotic Diary of Danielle Transitions Act 2 This title is the sequel to The Erotic Diary of Danielle, our exciting femdom anti-hero. Let's find out what she did next. This is a partial story for all the filthy details. Head on over to the Patreon for the full audio. Links are in the description. You're insatiable, I whispered, swatting away Sebastian with a pillow, who was actively fondling me with intent as we lay naked. I told you I'm sore. Believe it or not, I'm not used to this. Gently, the cool breeze of the air conditioner caught my back, as he pulled away his body and subsequently his prying erection to sit up. Within moments, his hands were cupping my buttocks, circling the globes in a soothing, massaging motion before prying them apart to inspect my anus. What about this hole? It looks untouched to me, he jested in a tone that sounded serious. Kiss my ass. I replied, not considering my choice of words amongst my horny muse. Gladly, he retorted, before diving face-first into my crevice with his stiff tongue prying around my intimate hole. Gripping the sheets, I attempt to control myself, not because the sensation is too much to bear, but because the way he pried open my derriere made me feel gassy. In the past, I wouldn't have cared, I probably would have let one slip, as it was his perverted move, his perverted risk. However, I was changing, evolving. I see that now. Desperately, I shuffle out of his grip, pushing, positioning him to lay propped up amongst some pillows so I could lay beside him, leaning over his chest so I could stroke and fillet his penis simultaneously. Like all new lovers... My approach was caring and careful. My revile lover combed his fingers through my locks as I lightly sucked, thoroughly admiring his phallus, its dimensions and musky pheromones. But then it hit me. Laying on top of his hard body, faced with his throbbing, veiny erection, 
reminded me this wasn't like being with the regular men I've become accustomed to sleeping with. This man was around 30 years their junior, at the peak of his powers. Conscious of the late hour, I moved with a new sense of urgency, throwing my hair in an impromptu messy bun. Eagerly, I sucked and kneaded his penis hungrily, gripping and jerking the shaft aggressively. His gasps spur me on, letting me know he's approaching his climax. My other hand ventures, loosely massaging his heavy balls before beginning to travel lower. Unhindered, my fingers pried around the erogenous areas around his anus. The sensation proved to be too much for him, and I felt him jerk up. His buttocks tightened, as did my grip on him, along with my increased suction. I'm coming, he declared, as my mouth clamped down on him, swallowing what little fluid he had left to ejaculate. His sweat-glossed body was finally satisfied and ready to sleep. But I knew I couldn't relax into a slumber with another person in my bed. Well, at least just not yet. I thought I might as well write. Dear diary, my therapist said writing a diary might help me face my trauma and issues. So, I guess here we go again. I couldn't bring myself to put my fears, trials and tribulations into words, but I guess I hit a real turning point where I felt myself changing. Everything started with the tricky decision I had to make. Was I going to brave London? Hand myself in or run? Well, the plan was to run and leave London behind, but things didn't play out so simply. I informed Tom of my plans to go, and he pleaded with me to stay, offering to hide me away in his mansion. On paper, it was an excellent idea for a place for me to lay low, but subsequently, I learned why Tom was so willing to take me on, and unpredictably, it wasn't sex. Tom was in poor health and dying after having an accident in his classic car workshop. He apparently collapsed and wasn't discovered for days after. I don't know the ins and outs, but his lung capacity took a significant hit. But rather than taking the advice and medical support, Tom discharged himself to make the best of what he deemed was his last moments. During this time, I saw the real Tom, and in turn, he revealed some of the real Danielle. His life to this point was a tapestry of hurt and regret. Shame and pain filled his eyes as he described how lonely he was. Now the drawer of degradation made some sort of sense to me. Years of guilt had resonated with this man, to the point he didn't feel he deserved more. We grew close without any intercourse or money changing hands. I cared for him, as much as I could bring myself to. We shared stories of our life experiences, and he urged me not to make the same mistakes as him. Not to die lonely. When the lockdown started, I disappeared to the Midlands to figure out my next moves. Where I would live, etc. Unfortunately, it was in this time of solitude, Tom died. Those events brought us to today.
I didn't know about Tom's Scottish roots, but here I was in Edinburgh, part of a small group of people here to pay my respects to my fallen friend. Tom had planned his funeral with his longtime confidant and lawyer, Roger. He was the only familiar face I was expecting to see. He took care of the funeral arrangements, accommodation and even the reading of his will. I've heard people say things like, grief does strange things to people in the past. But I wasn't expecting the hostile reception I walked into. The very moment I walked into the lounge of the Country Retreat Hotel, I could see three figures, all tense and unfamiliar. The oldest man stood by a fireplace, drinking what I could only assume was whiskey. He looked to be a little bit older than Tom. His bushy white eyebrows and his tubby, aggressive posture said to stay clear, like an animal looking to bite. The woman looked to be around my age, but her funeral attire screamed retro chic from the 60s. She stayed concealed behind her black veil while conversing with someone courtesy of her in-ear airpods. The third person was a tall, attractive man in his mid-thirties. He seemed to be attached to his phone, typing away furiously. Suddenly, the old man breaks the silence in the room. Well... You can't be Charlotte, because she's over there. You must be Thomas's whore, he said. I stood there stunned for a moment, not noticing Roger had joined the room in time to witness his statement. Really, I said, turning to Roger, who had painted this picture to these strangers for how I was to be perceived. Personally, I expected more from him than to be gossiping amongst Tom's family. I'm sorry, Maxwell can be. Save it, I said, cutting Roger off before we announced our imminent departure to the burial site. I looked around the room to see the scowl on Charlotte's face. The younger man glimpsed up from his phone and gave a cheeky smile. We were ushered outside to be greeted by several horse-drawn carriages. One was tasked with pulling the body. The other two would bring us to Tom's final resting place. Where previously I imagined I would be travelling in Roger's cart, I couldn't bear to be near him or that horrid old man Maxwell. Immediately I retreated to the furthest horse-drawn carriage, as if it was designated just for me. Shortly I was joined by the younger man who had momentarily put away his phone and was attempting to make engaging eye contact. You must be Thomas's whore, he repeated, in a voice mocking the old man. His unrelenting smile forced me to chuckle a little before he finally introduced himself as Sebastian. He apologised for his rude uncle's behaviour and attempted to explain the deep-rooted rivalry between the brothers. This was followed by a crash course... In the by the time we travelled back to the retreat for the reading of the will and dinner, the mood in our carriage seemed to be out of sync with the other miseries. Sebastian captivated me with stories, jokes and flirted furiously. When I caught myself being on the receiving end of a disapproving scowl, I was reminded of where I was. Roger was keen to get the reading of the will out the way, so as soon as we hit the retreat's bar, he bought everyone a drink and proceeded to read Tom's will. 
Tom was incredibly generous, leaving substantial gifts to everyone. He left his brother Maxwell his collection of classic cars, Roger his golf clubs, golf cart and timeshare, Sebastian got his shares and place on the board of directors in his business. Roger got his selection of vintage red wines and two of his estate cars. The main point of interest was Charlotte, who inherited all his property, possession and money not distributed in the will. There was a caveat that as long as the main estate was owned, Sabrina Benani was allowed to live in the outhouse of the estate rent-free. Then finally, there was me. Tom had left me £2 million in cash and the content of his digital cryptocurrency wallet and any services paid for within. I was stunned into silence. In the past month, I made great money, but instantly I was rich and washing this dirty money was now going to be easy especially as now the optics would make it look like pocket money. Then the extra caveat for me came. I was to look out for Sabrina until she was at least 21 to unlock the contents of his safe. Well, that's that. I'm selling the estate and that Sabrina whore is homeless for all I care. Anyway, what makes Sabrina such a special case that she gets to leech but not get named in the will directly? Charlotte quizzed Roger. Now's not the day or the time, miss, Roger stated, attempting to revert the high spirits back to a sober mood. Secretly, I was also curious. I never saw Tom so much as converse with anyone in the outhouse, which was such a distance from the estate that I thought it was separate or a sublet. By the time everyone retreated to their rooms to get changed, it was clear the turnout for dinner was going to be a damp squib. I took a shower, trying to dampen my excitement about how my life was about to change. Moments later, there was a knock at my door. Room service. I opened my door in the Retreats branded dressing gown to be greeted by Sebastian with an oversized ice cream sundae. It's German and it's fantastic, he started before I let him. We banter a bit about how isn't this the part where I tip you and you bugger off to the last time somebody let me in their room with so little clothes on I got lucky. The majority of our time was spent on my room's balcony which overlooked the beautiful landscape. As the hours ticked by we talked, drank and even smoked which is rare for me. Something strange was happening. I don't know if it was the Scottish air or the life lessons from Tom but I found that I liked this guy. He wasn't judgmental. He was engaging and good-looking to boot. Predictably, as night fell and the breeze proved to feel intolerable, we retreated back inside to the warmth. It was then in which I noticed this teasing sexual banter between us had resulted in him getting a visible erection. And with the knowledge of his aroused state, this was something I would go for. We kissed a deep, prying, passionate kiss. It was slow and breathtaking. Not an eager, sloppy mess like my usual clients. I dropped his trousers and plucked his substantial penis from his underwear. 
felt different. Excited. My body was ready to go. I'd become so used to preparing for clients with lube that to have my juices going was giving me an unquenchable need to be fucked. Like any considerate lover, Sebastian started to nuzzle at my breasts and rub my clit. But I told him to stop and fuck me hard. Gripping his dick, fighting in my hand, I pulled him towards the bed, stripping off what clothes I had on left while he did the same, and positioned myself in a doggy-style position on the edge of the bed. An unexpected sting hits me as he slaps both arse cheeks and presents my opening with his enormous erect penis. He fills me, slowly at first, then rocks me along with his own motions on his shaft. Then it hit me. I hadn't been fucked by someone this athletic in ages, as he started to increase his quickening pace. Claps of flesh on flesh. You stupid arsehole. I wouldn't have let you fuck me if I wasn't on birth control. You can come inside me next time, if there is a next time, I said pissed. I should make you lick this clean, you sorry arsehole. No sooner had I suggested that than he was there. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> the full audio can be found on our literally lovesick Patreon page. The link can be found in the description. I want to take a moment to acknowledge our Patreon family. They have been incredible, but we have to mention two of our shout-out tier members, Ian P. and Ellen. Thanks for your support. We hope we can grow to flourish with each other. Erotica to look out for. The Witch of Rosemary Lane by Elena Nix. Connor Dawson has fallen for a smoking hot crazy cat lady who just might be a witch. Felina da Silva is everything Connor ever wanted in a woman, but she may be too good to be true. After she entices him to dinner, his dreams are filled with dark fantasies, and she's willing to fulfill them all. Despite being warned that Felina is dangerous and discovering that she's been connected with one man's mysterious disappearance, Connor finds it all too easy to spend more and more time with Felina and her strangely intelligent black cat. When one of Felina's neighbors tries to poison the cats that roam her property, Connor investigates, only to discover that the neighbor has been murdered with the same poison. When he's questioned by police, he has to decide how much to tell them about Felina. Does he have a future with her? Or has his lust been blinding him to her true nature? Links can be found in the description. We've had some brilliant guests on our show during our first 12 months. Guests who have provided brilliant content, which is well worth revisiting, such as Melissa Lee, a self-loved sex coach and erotica writer. She read us a marvelous short on Nectar, our fifth episode. Let's hear some of her erotica. I was squeezing honey into the heart-shaped mouth of my favorite tablespoon, watching the thick amber-colored liquid fill it to the top before setting the container down. I shoved the spoon into my mouth, feeling the sweetness spread over my tongue. I closed my eyes as it slipped down my throat, 
my favorite sensation and taste. Did you just eat a spoonful of honey? His voice startled me, and I almost choked. I whipped around to see him standing there, leaning against the door frame, wearing last night's boxers and a shit-eating grin, arms crossed over his bare chest. I walked over to him, spoon in hand, and slid my other one up his arm to his shoulder, neck, and jaw before kissing him. Maybe. Why? You jealous of my little spoon? I put it in my mouth again, licking the remnants of honey out of the curves and crevice of it. A little bit, he smirked and wrapped his arms around my waist, pulling me to him. Is this like a normal thing for you, just diving into some honey? He asked. I nodded and said, every morning. Any reason? He pressed. It tastes good. And I like feeling it in my mouth and going down my throat. I replied, bringing my hand to his cock, finding it hard. I reached into his boxers, wrapped my fingers around him and said, come here. We walked to the counter where I set the honey down and told him to take off his underwear. While he did that, I opened the container and filled the spoon again. I held it over his cock and tipped it, watching the liquid stream onto his skin, moving back and forth, making sure there was honey drizzled from tip to base before getting on my knees. I swirled my tongue around his head, my mouth salivating as I took more and more of him. The sweetness mixed with the salt of his skin was divine. Here, put more on, I told him, handing him the spoon. I kept the tip of him on my bottom lip while I watched as he filled the spoon and drizzled more honey onto his shaft. I devoured him once his skin was dripping, rubbing the underside of his cock with my tongue, unable to get enough, my lips sticky and my pussy wet. I reached between my legs and touched myself while I sucked him, excited for him to come. He gave up on the spoon and grabbed the bottle of honey, squeezing more out as I consumed him. Come for me, I said, looking up, meeting his gaze. I'm about to, he grinned. Don't stop. When he did, he filled my mouth with all the salty, sweet deliciousness of him. I dragged my lips slowly off his cock and swallowed, feeling satisfied. You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> In our sixth episode, Thirst, erotica writer Jack Hawkland introduced us to his wonderfully descriptive brand of erotica. Let's listen to one of his super-ability-inspired excerpts. Chapter 1. A Phased Seduction Kit focused on his breathing. This was important because, as much as he wanted to focus on the barely obscured view of the naked and semi-naked women in front of him, he also knew that as he increased the rate at which he masturbated, his body would demand more oxygen. 
and his oxygen supply was somewhat limited by the fact that his face was currently merged inside a solid wall. He shifted his positioning slightly. He had been phasing his body through objects for nearly a year now, and had become quite adept at what he needed to do to maintain the technique over a long period of time. Hollow walls were no problem, of course, but the materials used to create the partitions in this shower block were trickier to deal with. Constantly moving his face ever so slightly within the molecularly fluid mesh seemed to help. He didn't completely understand the science. How could he? He was a living embodiment of science fiction. But his respiratory system seemed to function perfectly well, even while parts of his body were mingling with the molecules of solid structures. The denser the structure, the more he struggled for air, but the atomic fluidity that he was able to exert seemed to extend slightly beyond the surface of his skin. So even with his face submerged in solid metal, he still was able to breathe. He just needed to make sure he didn't put too many demands on his body. But his vigorous wanking was currently making such demands. Kit, at least the majority of him, was on the other side of the wall in an area of the leisure centre that was off-limits to patrons and rarely visited by staff. Besides, he knew he'd be able to make a miraculous escape if he were ever discovered. To anyone approaching from behind, it would look as if he were leaning his forehead against the brickwork, but a closer inspection would have revealed the bizarre truth. His face, indeed most of the front of his head, was fused into the wall itself. He had one hand placed firmly on the solid structure to support his weight, the other was wrapped tightly around the erect penis that he had freed from his open fly. It didn't hurt this ability of his. The best way he could describe it was that sensation of squeezing slime through your fingers. You know, that stuff in pots you could buy for kids. It was like that, but at a microscopic level. In the same way breathing was slightly compromised, but not impossible, so too was his vision. Again, the material was the main determining factor, but so was his proximity to the other side. Metal and plastics were very hard to see through unless his eyeballs were literally a few atomic layers away from the other side, but he found wood and even brick to be a little more forgiving, allowing him to see into an adjoining room without having to push his face all the way through. It helped that Kid only had a small button nose. He could push his face nearly all the way through a wall, and at worst only the tip of his dainty schnoz would be visible. Most people would be hard-pressed to ascertain that what they were seeing was anything other than an odd surface imperfection, or maybe a piece of discarded gum. But the structure of the particular wall that he was peeping through right now was old, crumbly and honeycombed, affording him an almost unencumbered view, whilst keeping the whole of his face hidden within its confines. His vision was hampered slightly by a dull veneer and a little blurring, standard definition rather than 1080p, but otherwise his outlook was fine. In fact, it was majestic. An expansive changing room filled with women of various ages, shapes and sizes, and all in various states of undress. Anywhere he turned his attention, there was a pair of breasts falling out of a swimsuit, vest top or bra, ass cheeks being exposed left, right and centre as panties and swimwear collected around ankles, fleeting glimpses of pussies as towels were dropped and clean, dry undergarments were prepared. Such was the variety on display that Kit didn't have to scan the environment for very long before finding a suitable focus for his attention. Someone his age, early twenties, someone clearly not shy about her nakedness in front of strangers, and thus more likely to remain naked for longer, and someone with a slim, toned body and, as much as the cliché pained him, big tits. 
Kid had been doing this long enough that he had a pretty good appreciation of the different types of female body. He knew that larger breasts tended to belong to larger women, and that slim or athletic girls tended to be flatter, or at least perkier. But occasionally, he'd spy that lucky individual who had the best of both worlds. And he was staring at one now. Petite, long jet black hair, bee-stung lips, slim arms and legs, but a disproportionately generous bust that was threatening to escape her swimsuit, the straps of which were already hanging off her shoulders. Almost by providence, she was approaching the communal bench that wrapped around the edge of the room, at almost the exact point where Kit was semi-infiltrating. She had obviously just been to her locker, straight out of the pool or shower, as she was dripping wet, but clutching a towel in one hand and a bag of possessions in the other. She nonchalantly threw the small rucksack onto the slatted wood and did what Kit had been hoping she would, peeling her soaked swimwear off her upper torso and exposing her massive tits. He loved how boobs looked when women were fresh out of the shower, glistening with dampness, tight from the cold air, nipples stiff and puckered. This pair, no more than a metre or two from his hidden face, were perfect globes of heavy, sensual flesh. Double Ds? He hadn't a clue. Bra sizes weren't his forte. But they were big without looking too pendulous, more so when this delightful creature started towel-drying her hair. Her boobs lifted slightly as she raised her elbows to head height, displaying them in their most flattering light, hefty but firm enough to resist the no doubt considerable pull of gravity. They were like perfect globes of sensual flesh, swaying majestically as she tended to her wet mane. Her nipples were like rivets, stiff as a result of her exposure to the cool air. They were pointing directly at Kit, and he followed them with his eyes like a hypnotist's dangling watch. He stifled a grateful sigh, and tried to regulate his shallow breaths despite his elevated heart rate and the exertion of jerking off a bit faster. He felt pre-cum oozing from the tip of his shaft as he ogled the tits that were dancing around the chest of his unsuspecting performer. He was glad. The sublime sensation of smearing his glands with warm, silky lubrication was a more labour-efficient way of getting off. The great thing about women with this body type is that the majority seem to almost revel in their nakedness in this kind of environment proud to show off their blessed physical form to their peers and potentially jealous onlookers. This girl was no exception, and after she finished tending to her hair, she casually pulled off the rest of her swimsuit without an ounce of self-consciousness or shyness. As she rubbed herself with the soft cotton, Kit got the full tour around her body as she spun and twirled to dry every inch of herself. Her legs were toned, her ass was round and pert, and the hair above her pussy trimmed into a dainty triangle as if it were pointing to the hidden treasure below. But it was those tits that earned the lion's share of his attention. An unashamed boob guy, Kit's sexual experience was so threadbare that he still got off big time on the sight of exposed breasts. Maybe if he hadn't hastily lost his virginity in the back of a dark car, his one and only experience of actually having sex. Maybe if his only girlfriend proper hadn't been a true love waits type, who deemed the odd unenthusiastic handjob enough to sate his sexual requirements. Maybe if he had been afforded the opportunity to actually go down on a girl. Who knows, maybe his appreciation would be broader. But his sexual proclivities were more like those of an adolescent boy rather than a first-year university student. He just loved looking at boobs. Tight sweaters and t-shirts showing off their contours excited him. Gaps between buttons of loose-fitting tops thrilled him. And glimpses down shirts and blouses when women leaned over were occasionally enough to make him hard. And here he was, 
cock in hand, taking in a room full of topless women, whilst an almost perfect pair of large, firm knockers jiggled about just inches from his sequestered face. Getting these abilities must have been fate. How he'd love to do more than just watch. How he'd love to take those breasts into his hands to feel their weight and warmth. To squeeze them. To put one in his mouth and suck on it. To cover those beauties with his cum. Wouldn't that be spectacular? Her face smiling with encouragement as he fired his spunk all over her. Sighs of gratitude as his warm ejaculate decorated her boobs and ran down her cleavage. Such thoughts were sweetly complimenting the sensations he felt as he slid his hand up and down the length of his erection. Lubricated from the constant seeping that his ponderings were triggering, he felt the inevitable climax approach with each stroke. A bittersweet feeling. He could stand here all day and wanted this moment to last as long as possible. But the longer he straddled the partition between room and corridor, wanking himself into a stupor, the higher the chance he might be discovered. You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> if you haven't done so already, click on our Twitter profile and subscribe to our Twitter integrated online mailing list for previews, exclusive looks, and details on special offers. Porter Reigns not only wrote a fantastic erotic fantasy series, but was also featured on our show as a guest and then a reviewer. Here, Porter shows us that contemporary erotica can also be a staple in the Reigns portfolio. This is from our seventh episode, Steak. I would love to read you guys an excerpt from Isaac Eden's new joint. Unfortunately, as I mentioned before, I haven't written anything remotely salacious, so I don't think it would be befitting of this podcast. Instead, let me treat you to an excerpt from my latest story, The Cougar Curriculum. He turned into the empty parking lot of Daisy Dwellings, the only lights to guide his path being the motel's half-lit roadside and the dim glow emanating from the front lobby, where Reed spied the front desk attendant head down on the counter. He traveled down the line of rooms, arriving at the furthest most space from the entrance. He was the only one staying at this dump, yet the front desk attendant still saw it suitable to board him at the furthest of the eight rooms. Reed parked his car and navigated his way through the gloomy parking lot to his motel room door. Inside, he immediately stripped down, ditching his kitchen-scented clothes in the far corner of the room and turned on the shower. Despite the dingy, unkempt atmosphere of the motel's exterior, the water heater was apparently in tip-top shape as the bathroom quickly filled with steam from the the hot shower head. Reed allowed the stench of the kitchen line to filter down the drain and took a few extra minutes in the shower to truly soak in the warmth. When he finished, he dried off, hopped naked atop the firm mattress of the queen-sized bed, and flicked on the television. It was close to midnight, so the only station remotely watchable at this point was a local sports center knockoff featuring some tipsy-looking chatterboxes. Yeah, yeah, no, you, no, Greg, you see, he's got no weapons. He's got no weapons and his arm is shot. He's a bum, stuttered the raggedy host. The show was quickly losing Reed's focus and his eyelids began to feel heavier and heavier. A sudden rapping on the room's door sent a surge of adrenaline through Reed. He shot up from the bed and wrapped the towel around his waist. Who in the world would be knocking on his door this late at night and this far from the main road? He'd eaten at the restaurant so it couldn't have been a delivery driver, and the front desk attendant had been fast asleep when he'd pulled in. Reed cautiously approached the door, careful not to make a sound, and peered through the peephole. His heart pounded in his chest. He was in disbelief at what he saw. 
or his eyes playing tricks on him, he swiftly opened the door. Miss Lane, he said in a high-pitched tone. She stood just beyond the threshold, looking even more alluring than before. Her straight black hair spilled over her shoulders, framing her aging yet elegant face. Her green eyes burrowed into his, and her slender, delicate nose tugged at the top of her plump upper lip, accentuated by pink lipstick. Her bony clavicle, buxom cleavage, pointed shoulders, and slender arms were exposed, and a white-purple sundress clung tightly to her sylph-like physique. She wore red heels over her dainty feet. In her hands, she held a gift basket filled with fresh fruits. The moonlight emphasized her porcelain complexion. I, I, God, I hope this isn't too weird, but I thought you might want some fresh fruits. There aren't many good eateries around here, so I just wanted to make sure you were being fed well. She removed a hand from the basket to twirl anxiously at the end of her hair. Her eyes lowered, and it was then that Reed remembered he had no shirt on. I'm sorry, let me get a shirt on, said Reed, frenzied. Here, come in. You, you can place the basket over there at the table. She stepped through the doorframe and closed the door behind her. No, no need to dirty any clothes on my account. It, it's not like I haven't seen it all before. Reed tilted his head at her quizzically. Oh, during the, the homecoming game, your senior year, she said. You'd taken your shirt off at the end of the game. Oh, Reed said, laughing nervously. I, I did, didn't I? He eyed the fruit basket. Thank you so much, by the way. There's only so much sea brisk I can eat before I keel over. Reed grabbed an apple from the basket and took a bite. Y you want anything? I, I couldn't eat all this by myself. No, not right now, but thank you, she said. How how'd you know I was here anyways? You told me, remember? During our interview, that is? She responded. Jaime told me training would wrap up by half past ten, so I figured I'd be safe coming around here around midnight. Oh, well, I really do appreciate it. I feel somewhat guilty ending our conversation earlier. That, that's why I thought I'd come by. It's nice to catch up with past students of mine. Definitely, Reed sensed her apprehension. Please, sit. Miss Lane lowered herself slowly into the room's lone recliner, making sure to tug at the bottom of her tiny dress to avoid exposing her nether regions. She crossed her lean thighs and Reed saw in awe of how smooth they looked. He quickly averted his gaze upon recognizing he'd been staring much too long. Miss Lane had noticed his appraisal. Reed nervously cleared his throat. You sure I can't get you anything? Miss Lane smiled knowingly at him. There was a sudden and complete shift in her trepidation. She appeared cocksure. Actually, Reed, I wouldn't mind a pair, she said. There should be one buried at the bottom of the basket. Reed reached into the fruit basket, pushing aside the apples and bananas to find the pear she'd requested. Only he didn't find anything that resembled a pear. Instead, he felt the cold touch of metal. What's this? he said, pulling at the metal bets at the bottom of the basket. He couldn't help but be struck aghast at what he withdrew. Handcuffs. What the? He whispered, reaching into the basket again. Up came yet another pair of handcuffs. He dangled them in front of his eyes, expecting to suddenly become enlightened by their presence. He turned toward Miss Lane to gauge a reaction. He found her leaning forward in the chair, her palms face up and her wrists tightly pressed together. I'm tired of always being the disciplinarian, she whispered. Her sexual energy was palpable. Do what you will. Her brow was furrowed and lips pursed. She was practically pleading with Reed to satisfy her desires. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> We've had several guests throughout our time podcasting and listened to lots of erotic stories. We hope you'll go back and rediscover some of the episodes that got us to this level and growing popularity. We hope you join us for more erotica in the future. 
Before we leave you, here's a preview of an exclusive audiobook you can only find on our Patreon page. Enjoy. Around about six minutes passed and the doorbell rang. She's back, I presumed, and went to open the door. But it wasn't her. It was a courier with a package addressed to me that I needed to sign for. I tentatively accepted the delivery. Obviously, I wasn't expecting anything. Taking the polythene mailing bag into the lounge, I sat down back next to Martina. Where's Heidi? She asked, to which I raised the mysterious package. Wrestling the eager Martina off as she tried to pry the package from my hands, I tear through the mailing bag to reveal the latest iPhone. Stunned, I look for answers. There's a note with a phone number from Val. One of the problems that arose from Val's driver taking me home that night was now Val knew where I lived. As charming as he was, he was aggressive and relentless in regards to getting what he wanted. Heidi's words had started to resonate with me. Things felt like they were getting a little too intense. A fully invested Martina was in front of me, peering through the concerned look in my eyes. Hey, snap out of it. Are you going to call him or what? He just sent this expensive phone here. I think you deserve answers, right? Martina sermonized. Requiring some time to compose myself, we made the decision to walk to our regular coffee shop to get some fresh air. Martina had already set up an Apple ID for me before we've left the building, and by the time we got there, she was prompting me to ask the voice assistant the various phrases. Hans, the barista, welcomed us with a hand gesture as he finished making someone's drink. You've just missed Heidi like five minutes ago. She sped off in that loud supercar, he said. Martina and I looked at each other, expressing the same puzzled look before questioning Hans further about who Heidi was with. All we learned was she jumped in the driver's seat, and he thought the car was a two-seater BMW Roadster. We took our seats, speculating further about what Heidi was up to before Martina steered the conversation back to the reason we came here in the first place. Discussing the change of landscape caused by Val's gesture, we agreed that I had to call him. As delicately as I can, I explained to Martina that I can't call him around her. She reacts positively and offers to give me all the space I need, but insists I keep her in the loop rather than have her speculating like we just were with Heidi. Later, I'm home alone and I've decided it's time, so I ring Val. What I hadn't anticipated was that he was going to be too busy to talk, and he pledged to call me back straight away. What felt like an hour passes any calls. The unfamiliar ringtone has me jumpy. His presence on the phone was of someone calculated, confident, and in control. I felt like the shell of myself, unable to impose my will on the man I made risk at all. After requesting to meet tonight, I agreed without contemplating what that was actually going to entail. This final request concludes the brief call, which left me flustered and frustrated in myself for not asserting my concerns. Later that night, I was picked up by Val's driver. He took me to a venue much closer to their estate than my home in a huge Maybach with dark-tinted windows. The ride is frosty, with the driver not being very talkative. The venue he chose seemed to be some sort of members-only golf club that has a fancy bar and restaurant. The driver spoke to the people on the desk, resulting in my admission. Once I had entered, I was greeted by Val. The demeanor of the man changed in person. 
He was gentle and considerate to a fault. I felt like I was in control again. Val, why am I here? I asked confidently, wanting some answers. He sunk a small glass of golden alcohol, leaving a solitary ice cube rattling in the bottom of the glass before putting it down, contemplating his words. I think you shouldn't see John anymore. He's not right for you. I just can't tell you why. He spat out. Really? I thought he had to do better than that, so I pushed. Okay, he won't tell me why, but why am I here? Why do you care so much about him not being right for me? I pushed. My words put him on edge. He looks away and starts to rant and rave about several things, like how he had hoped John would have turned out differently and how I deserved better. Without space to think, word after word of the same nonsense regurgitates. Suddenly, he finally says something that resonates. Look, you're here because I'm crazy about you. I can't stop thinking about you, he blurted out. Incredible, I thought. Most importantly to me, I knew I had him. I just didn't know what he was expecting from me. So what exactly were you expecting from me? Are you going to get rid of your wife? Are you going to encourage me to hang around your son? You tell me. You've got all this figured out? I lectured, continuing to let him know that whatever he was thinking was a bad idea. I want you to work for me, he said stunning me into silence. I want you to remain distant from John and concentrate on building and maintaining our new website. Pay will be generous. You'll get your own office in the city and your own team. I'll back up, allowing us to learn more about each other. I'm not asking for sneaking around. I'm asking for a chance to know you better, he concludes. Dangerous as his proposition appeared to be, I couldn't help but consider the prospect. My relationship with John was in dire straits. I wouldn't get paid handsomely, and if I didn't want him close, I could always walk away. Immediately at that moment, I realized the power I had over him was starting to slip back into his hands. I asked him to have his driver take me home. After arranging for his driver to pick us up, he explained that it made much more sense for him to be dropped off at the estate first, as we were minutes away from it. In the back of the Maybach, he closes a partition window and continues to talk about his offer. I froze uncomfortably, telling him I wasn't comfortable with such a discussion with the driver in the car. He then proved the driver couldn't hear or see us by yelling at him to stop the vehicle. He used an intercom button to tell the driver to pull up for real once he was satisfied. I trusted the integrity of the partition wall. You didn't accept my offer. What do I need to do? I would do anything to have this chance to get to know you better, he pleaded. My eyes glint with the magic phrase, do anything. I bit my bottom lip, thinking of what I was going to ask this man to endure. Anything? I asked, making wide-eye contact. He looked me dead in the eye before concurring with anything. Prove it. Pick up the phone and scold your wife right now, I demand. Clearly, he wasn't expecting this. He's flustered, but he reached for his phone in his pocket, looking towards me every second. Upon unlocking it and seeing the contact, he looked at me, saying, If I do this, I'm going to need something from you right away. I nodded in acknowledgement, and no sooner than that he broke eye contact, starting his call with Helga. 
I stay as quiet as I can as Val spills word after venomous word about how Helga has driven talented people away from working on their estate and contributed next to nothing. There's more about how she couldn't even drive and motivate Val to be better like I do with John. Helga began the call shouting to be heard, matching the energy but ending up sobbing on the phone as he hung up. Although he was initially reluctant to make that call, I can see the genuine anger that resonated there. My body was tingling as my heart skipped. Just how worked up had I got this guy? Taking the initiative, I made my way over to him and released his belt buckle. His attempts to kiss me deeply are refuted as I make my cheek and neck accessible, playfully reminding him not just yet. Carefully, I unbuttoned and zipped down his fly, making my way eventually to his hard, throbbing penis. Inspecting the large erection closely, there are a few heavy protruding veins that looked like they belonged in a bodybuilder's neck or arms. Gripping the shaft tightly, I looked into his eyes. My tongue licked a small drop of sticky pre-cum off the top of the head. The clinging liquid made a majestic-looking strand worthy of a photo after I lightly drew my tongue away. After a few well-placed laps, the shiny tip of the penis glistened in the low light, and I proceeded to engulf the head into my mouth while pumping the length in my fist-like grip. Admittedly, my actions were eager and sharp enough to cause some form of discomfort. Clutching my hand, he showed me his preferred pace and range of motion to use, and learning quickly, I emulated it as best I could. His pleasurable moans were building as I looked to make eye contact with him. As I eagerly sucked his penis, I found myself getting aroused and even a little bit excited from the prospect of getting caught by his driver. Conscious of how our shuffling around in the back of the vehicle would translate to movement in the front where the driver was seated, I attempted to move gracefully. His penis pulsed defiantly as I held it into place while snapping back his foreskin simultaneously with my lips and grip firmly enveloping the shaft. My jaw threatened to tire on me as I pulled up for air, allowing me to get a greater motion going with my pumping hand. Sensing a sense of eagerness from him as my sturdy grip produced heightened groans, I returned him into my mouth, only succeeding to calm his fire momentarily. Suddenly, he extended a moan. The full audio can be found on our literally lovesick Patreon page. The link can be found in the description. Thanks again for joining us. I hope we will see you in the near future, or even in the present, finding magical times from our archive. I've been Natalia, and you've been listening to All the Filthy Details, the Erotica Communities Podcast.